0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf and I'm always joined by
0: Adam Young from
1: Golf.com. Since our last episode, I've gotten my three first rounds of the year in. I've played three rounds of golf in a week. It feels good.
0: Man, I don't think I've got three rounds in last year. At all, completely. Oh, no, I did. I did, yeah. I was pretty good last year. I, pr- I played about four times.
1: Are you just like trapped inside? I just envision you like trapped inside of your I studio am... with like the lights off and your like <laughs> launch monitor and like... The screen on in the background is like that how you just live your life and
0: i'm such an introvert if you asked me when i was 15 years old what was what's the ideal life it'd be well i'm locked away from everybody and i have a golf simulator in my office that's like (laughs) perfect life for me and i've got it living my best life (laughs) he's living his
1: best life well it was good to be for me i i need to be around human beings so it was good to be out on the course how do you play I played really well, I have to say. I mean, I don't put too much stock into early season rounds because I feel like they could go either way. You can get like fool's gold where you come out hot and then all of a sudden you get some bad memories of swings in your head. But I think I'm I'm cumulatively one under par. I think I shot one under the first round and then, yeah, even the, the, the next two rounds. And you know, I hit a ton of greens.
0: I hit my long driver really well. I wasn't even using the shorter driver. So wait, wait there. Let me guess. You're hitting your long driver really long. You're controlling the face amazingly, and you're grinding through every single bad, <laughs> bad patch. You you've been listening to our our podcast, basically.
1: Yeah, I've <laughs> been I've been thinking about a lot of the things we've discussing on the course. It's it's been interesting, but yeah, I've just felt you know a lot of the things I work on in the winter. I, I usually come out pretty comfortable ball striking wise from the winter because I hit a lot of balls in the off season. So. Yeah, it felt good. I hit a ton of greens. The, the greens were really slow, so I couldn't make many putts. So I felt like those were actually the highest scores I could have shot. But I'm not counting my chickens or eggs before they hatch because you never know what's going to happen in the next round. But yeah, so I'm happy to be out there. I was playing well. I actually had a moment yesterday that'll lead into today's episode. I hit a fade yesterday
0: intentionally.
1: Yeah, I was. I hit one bad drive yesterday. I was in the trees and i had like 3 or 4 openings in front of me and there was just no way i could do my punch draw in one opening it was like a 5 foot opening so i saw another opening that was pretty wide and i weakened my grip and i did my hammering the nail 30 degrees to the left and i hit this beautiful little like punch fade landed on the green and i drained a 30 footer for birdie and and i I, th- I actually thought of you i was like adam would have been happy with that but we're going to talk about why I only did that fade in that one scenario versus my regular pattern, which is a draw. So what are we talking about today? You, you, you introduced this.
0: We are talking about shaping the ball, all things shaping. So that's curving left and curving right. I suppose shaping could encompass trajectory changes as well, high and low. But no, we're, we're just talking about directional shaping today.
1: Yeah, I think if we introduce trajectory, this would become a yeah. four-hour episode. <laughs> so let's make it our, our normal time
0: because I, I think we're going to
1: have a lot to say about
0: this. It's an interesting topic. We'll talk about some blog posts. But yeah, start us off then, John. What's your? What are your views on shaping? Do you like to shape it? Which way do you shape it?
1: So, I mean, anyone who's listened to our show knows that I am a drawer of the golf ball. I think I grew up trying to hit a fade, but I was really hitting like a push block. It wasn't very good. And for the last seven or eight years, I've been playing a draw. When I started playing the draw, I felt like I'd found my natural shot shape. It just felt comfortable to me. And I've always been of the view that it never made sense to me to work the ball both ways on the course for a number of reasons. And I think we'll get into that. So that's kind of like my starting point. I know there's you know conventional wisdom out there that you know based on the dog leg or where the pin is you want to be shaping the ball in both directions and i don't want to come across like you know saying you can't play great golf or good golf shaping the ball in both directions i don't want to say that that's impossible my my belief is is that as someone who wants to make the game simple for myself and everyone else who who chooses to listen to my opinion or your opinion I'd prefer for people to pick one shot shape that is natural to them and to stick with it and become really good at that. I mean, the number one golfer in the world right now, Dustin Johnson, he was on record again the other day, he said it many times, he doesn't hit draws. I mean, maybe he'll hit it very infrequently once once in a while, but if you watch him play golf, it's a fade every time.
0: I completely agree. I mean, for someone who promotes variability in their practice, When it comes to playing, I'm of the same opinion that most players should stick to one shot. I I think that people should learn the ability at least to have that base ability to call upon a different shape should you need it. As you found on the golf course, you know, you needed that fade and you were able to do it because you had practiced it. But to go on out on the course and be shaping one right to left and one left to right, it's very rare that I would recommend that. You know, I can test for these things and see if players are better doing that way. You know, some people like playing that way and they play better that way because they're much more visual and they like using their imagination and it, it builds confidence to try and shape it. But very few people are as skilled shaping it both directions usually they have a tighter pattern with one shot shape
1: and and that's ultimately like if you want to shoot your lowest scores on the course i know there's there's a bit of a debate where people say like well i just want to play a certain way and that's totally fine like if you want to go out there shaping it both ways hitting it you know we're not going to talk about trajectories but altering your trajectory and all that stuff that's the way you want to play golf i'm totally okay with that like go for it. But if you're interested in becoming the best version of yourself as a golfer in terms of scoring, I mean, the point of the game is to shoot your lowest scores. I believe for most players that sticking with one shot shape is going to lead to lower scores overall. I feel like if you try and do both you'll lose more than you'll gain. Like perhaps, yeah, there will be situations where you do hit that fade into the tucked pin on the right side of the green or vice versa with the draw. But for every one of those shots, there might be five double crosses or missing your target in a spot that leads to a double bogey. So, you know, with golf, we mentioned the word dispersion a lot on this show, as we should, because it's not just about singular events. You have to think about what's your... Your circle in terms of where all your shots are landing. And I think that circle will get bigger if you're carving it both ways. That, that's just my belief.
0: For most people, so you're either going to get one of two scenarios, right? You're going to get someone, if you hit a draw and then a fade, or you hit a hundred draws and fades, the two scenarios are, they're both going to be the same dispersion which what's the chance of that, <laughs> right? It's very rare that you're gonna have exactly the same dispersion, or one of them is gonna be better. Those are the two outcomes. And so the logical thing is, we'll pick the one that is better, use that one on the course, because that's gonna give you the statistical edge. So as you said, you know, when, you, when you look at launch monitors, they group those shots into a circle. And you can actually tag it. So I I do this all the time with my players. I'll say, right, hit 10 fades for me, and I'll tag it as fade. And then I'll say hit 10 draws, and I'll tag that as draw. And then we can compare those two circles. And we can even go as granular as as looking at the standard deviations. So that's a a good indicator of which shot pattern is better. The one with the lowest standard deviation is the tighter shot pattern in general. And so that's going to be the best one to go for. But there also might be a bias to those shot patterns. So, for example, someone who is trying to draw the ball into a target, they might have a bias of missing more to the left. You know, they tend to overdo it. Same for Fade. They might have a tendency to miss more to the right. But it's not always what people think it is. I did a blog post the other day. I always say the other day is about a year ago. <laughs> I, d- I don't know <laughs> in what your, that in is. your
1: bizarre time machine yeah, of life, that's that, a year ago, but feels like a day. A,
0: <laughs> it might be a Welsh thing, that, to say the other day. <laughs> we have a saying in, in Wales. I'll be, I'll be there now in a minute soon. So anyway, back to the topic. I put a picture. It was a bird's eye view of a hall, and there was a pin tucked on the left-hand side. And I asked the question... Is it better to fade or draw in here? And it's amazing. You get some people say, well, obviously the fade is better because if you overshape it, you're going to miss on the middle of the green. But then you get the other people saying, well, no, a fade is bad because you're more likely to double cross it and pull it left and miss left. Basically, you don't want to miss left in this scenario. So some people believe that you're more likely to overshape a shot, and some people believe you're more likely to double-cross a shot shape. The reality is patterns are really individual to both the person and the shot type. So if I'm, I'm a prime example of that. I miss left, my bias is a left miss, regardless of the shape that I, I play. If I'm drawing in, into a target, I have a tendency to overcurve it if I, if I make a miss. But if I'm fading into a target, I have a tendency to make more of a pull. I'm more likely to pull than overfade it. So you look at my fade and my draw patterns and they're both left on average, slightly biased to the left by about five yards. So for me, I would actually aim five yards right of that pin and fade it in or draw it in. It doesn't really matter. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on the player because for me, I'd probably be the opposite of you. I definitely, as someone who draws the ball, I think I have a slight bias to having my ball finished to the left of my target. But if I tried to play a fade, I know I'd Very much be struggling with big blocks because I will just present the the club face open at impact more often because that's just what I'm comfortable doing. That's why I feel better hitting the draw because I know I can keep the club face open at impact. That's just a comfortable feeling for me, for me to start the ball left of my target and fade it back to it. That's just a move I'm not good at making.
0: Well, that's because your path is is more into out. So yeah. you probably find it very difficult to change your path, I would imagine. Yeah,
1: I'm starting from a more extreme place. So for me to go, you know, from let's say six degrees into out, and then go all the way on the opposite side, trying to go, you know, two, three, four degrees out to in, that's just gonna mess with my mechanics. It's gonna mess with how I probably what what I believe when we talked about this in our face angle episode is, is one of the more important ball striking skills is it's going to mess with how I'm presenting the face at impact.
0: When you say mess, it's it's not necessarily incorrect. It's just you're changing motor programs, right?
1: Yeah. And it, it won't create a functional matchup for me. If I go out there playing a fade, I just don't think I'll be able to control it the same way I do with a draw, which is why I don't even mess around with it. Aside from you know, very infrequent situations like I was in the trees yesterday and, you know, I, I had plenty of room and I felt that I, I could do the fade and it wasn't going to cause more trouble than it was worth versus, you know, if I was aiming at a green, th- there's just no reason for me to, I feel to work it both ways. I, I feel like I'm not gaining anything from that, mainly because when I think about where the ball is going to end up, I don't think I can create a better dispersion with the fade.
0: Well, here's a good thing, test it. You you've got the sky track, so do you have the ability to track shot patterns with that as in you can put a circle around specific ones, you can tag it as a fade or could you tag it as different clubs maybe so you could
1: No, it's not a professional product like that, meaning that, you know, for club fitters and and instructors like yourself, the GC Quad allows you to tag various clubs where SkyTrack is not set up for that.
0: You could do it manually.
1: You could do it manually, yes. I've done tests like that where I separate it. But it also gets back to maybe even deeper philosophical discussion about swing patterns and technique in your mind. I've got so much ingrained experience and trust with my quote-unquote draw swing and I I remember when we were texting back and forth when I was doing that experiment for you with me hitting the fade, I could do it under no pressure, hit the fade, but you know, you put me in a tournament at the end of the round and when things are really on the line, I have a lot of good moments with my draw swing that I can draw from, <laughs> no, <laughs> nice, pun, nice. no pun intended. <laughs> so to introduce a different pattern for me, and I, and I think this applies to a lot of golfers, you know, that's a whole other motor pattern that you've got to really build a lot of trust in. It's not just being able to do it on the range, and it's not just being able to do it, you know, when you're playing a regular round. I'm more interested in how's it going to feel when I'm more nervous or uncomfortable?
0: It's it's really interesting. It's, it's an important point that, that the internal mechanics, what's going on in your perception is huge as well for your ability to draw. Oh, I've done it as well. To draw upon a shot pattern or draw out a shot pattern. And I'm the same as you. I see a draw shape or that's how my brain has been built. And it's so interesting that when I first went on to, at least this is interesting to me, when I first went on to um, radar, I would hit these shots and my eye would see it as straight, right? So if I hit a shot that landed on the target, I would swear it had no curvature to it. And then I would look at the radar and it said it's curved like five, 10 yards left. I'm like, I swear to God that didn't curve, but it did. So it's almost like my brain has trained itself to see a shot that lands on the target as having no curvatures, going straight there. And in fact, if I... Hit a shot that is genuinely straight that has no curvature. I almost see that ball moving left to right in my eyes. So it's like your brain wires itself to see a certain shape after enough enough time, and uh, yeah, it gives you confidence or lack of when you're standing on a on a hole trying to hit a shape that doesn't fit in with what you've ingrained mentally and perceptually.
1: Well, you, you've studied a lot more about. The brain and and motor patterns than I have.
0: The more you know, the more you realize you don't know in that field. It's uh, well it, ridiculous. The, the question
1: I have is that you know a draw swing and a fade swing are 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 different. You have to do different things with your body and the club. So, do you believe it's harder for a golfer to learn how to do? two different things versus becoming better at just one thing. And I'm not saying it's impossible to do. I know there are pro golfers out there who hit the ball in both directions. I know it's possible, but you know, we're talking more about the recreational player here who wants to get better. Do you believe it's harder to recall two different motor patterns on the course like that?
0: Yes, and I think there are loads of different reasons why one of them is how your attention is split. Okay, so when I play a draw, I don't have to think to do that. I don't, I don't have to think, get my swing path in to out. I just turn my mind off. I, I, I lose awareness of the path and my body automatically goes towards that, whether you call it muscle memory, ingraining. I know muscles don't have memories, by the way, so don't kill me on Twitter for that. But yeah, I don't have to think to hit a draw. However, if I want to fade it, because that is not my natural shot shape, in air quotes, I would have to be aware of and be consciously changing the path. And so basically, I've, I've used up one slot in my awareness, if that makes sense. I see, I see, you know, you can only think of so many things in a golf swing, right? And if I'm thinking of path, I've basically used up one of those slots that I can't use for something else. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I only ever use fade shots if I have to, or if it affects other variables, which is the next point, is that changing your motor pattern, when you change to a, a draw or fade, you're not only changing the path, but when you change the path and swing direction, you change other variables. For example, if you swing more to the right, that affects low point. It moves the low point farther back. And if you swing more to the left to play a fade, that moves the low point farther forwards. Now that might be a good or a bad thing, depending. I'll give you a specific example. If I'm fatting it one day, say I'm just suffering, I'm clipping the ground a little early, I feel it's quite shallow angle of attack, and I'm hitting these draws. That might be a good cue for me to say, right, I'm gonna try and fade it today. And the reason why is when I fade it, and swing more left, it's one thought for me, but it shifts my low point forward, steepens the angle of attack, and it changes the shot shape. So I can kill a lot of birds with one stone with that. But that's me only, and that's because I'm highly practiced.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's a very advanced, you know, to be able to understand all those things at once and then make that change. That's exactly that's an incredibly yeah. advanced understanding of the golf swing and all the variables involved.
0: I, I will add one thing as well, is when I say I feel a fade, sometimes I'm not actually fading it. So I know that's quite weird to say.
1: No, I, I've said that in multiple episodes when I'm struggling overcooking my draw, I try and hit a fade and I know I'm not actually hitting a fade. I'm just neutralizing my draw swing path.
0: Perfect. Exactly. That's that's the exact explanation for it. Yeah. So I can hit shots that the reality of it is people will say, oh that looks very straight. Or he even has a very small draw. And I'll say to them, Well, I'm actually feeling a little bit of a fade here. And so like you said, it neutralizes it. Because if I didn't feel that fade, that small draw turns into a big draw, or even a big hook, onto the target.
1: No, and I can I can tell you, I'm so glad I'm back out on the course again so I can use this real world experience. Like when I'm when I was playing in the last three rounds this past week with my forty seven inch driver. My swing rehearsal is probably a little bit of like an exaggerated fade. That's my last thought. And I'm hitting this thing almost with no curve. I'm hitting it very straight. So I don't really try and shape the ball with my driver. I just kind of hit it and then it lands where it lands. I'm not one to try and – you know the, the modern driver does not want to curve or the ball does not want to curve as much as it used to with, with the new golf ball and the new head. So I'm just trying to hit it to some point out there and live with if it goes to the left or right of that target but yeah a lot of my pre-swing feels is like maybe trying to hit a light little fade with that driver and what i'm really doing is like hitting up on it a lot and it's almost like a straight pattern for me because i'm not really coming from the inside that much
0: i've seen spieth doing a lot of uh, kind of over the top moves at the moment which is basically trying to neutralize his pattern right
1: yeah he's he's doing some Interesting. He's trying to fade his driver now, and I, I always viewed him as a, a drawer of the golf ball. I see him hitting a lot of fades, but that's a whole separate topic. I mean, I'm watching that Masters leaderboard right now, hoping he's climbing, but that—that's a let's not go there.
0: It, it all links back to our overarching principle, right? Of of trying the opposite. Uh, it's the same whether, you know, if, if you're hitting a big hook, feeling a fade might neutralize that. Might, you might not never get to the actual fade, but you might turn that 30-yard hook into a 10 or 20-yard draw instead. And it's the same if you're hitting the toe and you feel like you try and hit the heel. You might never get towards the heel, but it neutralizes it, moves the pattern in the right direction. So it's the same with this. And by the way, it's okay to – a shot shape could be straight, Now, I know no shot is actually straight. Every shot, by definition, is going to have some amount of curvature, whether it's a millimeter. Have you ever
1: seen Adam Scott hit balls in person? I I
0: can't recall it, but I'd imagine
1: (laughs) it's... Dead straight. He's the only golfer I've ever seen hit dead straight golf ball over and over again.
0: And it's okay. And when I do my tests, I will test a draw shot with a player and myself, and I'll test a fade shot with a player. And I'll also say... Can you try to hit the ball as straight as possible? So try and hit minimal curvature. And we test that pattern as well. And sometimes that's the best shape to play. I still categorize straight as a shape. It's just an an intended shape, which is in that case, zero shape. And with all of those, you're going to get some go more right of that, some go more left of that or of a center point. But ultimately, you pick the one that has the tightest dispersion as long as it's not biased crazy and then you you try and overlay that onto the golf course better
1: i think a lot of people have been taught to believe you know the eliminating one side of the course and it's just not true and i i I feel like when i'm playing my best golf that if I'm going to miss my target, I'd rather miss it equally on both sides. Obviously not that much, but you know, I've tracked my driving stats and when I'm driving it really well, I'm missing when I miss the fairway, it's it's almost an equal miss on the left and right. Would you prefer, you know, players you work with to have an a more even miss or like you want them to miss 80% on the left side?
0: You want it to be even. But if they're playing a course where there's water on every single hole on the left side, then you want them to have a more right bias miss. So you've got to play the hole in front of you. You've got to play the scenario in front of you. Like I remember the first hole at one of my courses had water on the left. And yeah, my stats were when I missed, 90% of the misses on that hole went to the right side. Only 10% missed to the left.
1: I guess the point I'm trying to make, forget about, you know, extremely like water hazards are out of bounds, something like that. Of course, you want to aim away from that trouble. We've discussed that in other episodes of strategy. But I'm just talking about, let's say you're just like hitting, you know, to a, a normal green or a normal fairway with, you know, relatively normal bunkers and rough on both sides. I think a lot of people have been led to believe with shot shape, and I did too for a long time, that if you're hitting a fade – well, I don't have to worry about hitting that left side because the ball's always gonna to curve to the right, and if I'm hitting a draw, you know I don't have to worry about missing to the right of the target because it's curving to the left, and it's just not true
0: nope, it's not true. basically, when you hit a hundred shots, you're gonna get a shot circle. Some of those shots are gonna be more right in that circle, some are gonna be more left, some are gonna be more centered. You just have to overlay that circle on the scenario the best way you can. You can eliminate one side of the course. If you aim 100 yards right, you'll eliminate the left side of the course. But that's not the best way to play.
1: Yeah, you'll be opening up another can of worms for yourself.
0: Exactly. No, most most of the tour players, even the ones where commentators say, oh, he's eliminated one side of the course. They haven't. You look at their stats and it's pretty even. I mean, the most biased players are probably just, just ever so slightly biased more towards one side of the rough than the other. But most of the good drivers on tour are pretty even with their misses.
1: Lou Stagner, who's a great follow on Twitter, he kind of pours through all of the shot track data for decades, and and you just don't <laughs> don't ever say like thoughts and feelings to Lou because he'll dig up data and be like, well, it's just not true. And I, I remember him posting a stat with what you said the most biased misses on tour. and I think it was like, if I'm remembering correctly, I might be getting this wrong, but it was around like 60% or something like that, meaning that even the most biased players weren't missing that much to one side versus the other. Because I think, and I've seen it in my own game, when you're playing your best, you don't want to be missing big, but you do miss on both sides of your target. It's just a fact of playing golf.
0: I think when – great players talk about it. So the anecdotes, right? Oh, I've never, i I've started playing a fade and I don't miss left. So you might have DJ say that. Well, you look at the stats and it tells a different story. His left rough and right rough misses are about even. However, what they might be meaning and what they might be saying anecdotally is, I very rarely curve the ball to the left. So he's basically saying 95% of my shots curve to the right. And now, now that's different. That's different than missing. He's
1: not double crossing. Yeah,
0: yet. exactly. So that, that's good because that can give you a confident feeling to know the ball is going to shape one way. But ultimately you're still, even if you shape 90% or 95% of your shots left to right, you're still going to have some misses because there'll be some pulls in there occasionally. And that's not always a bad thing. You know, if you hit your pole when there's water on the right, you're probably a good player. That's probably a good miss. Well, it is a good miss,
1: yeah, and it gets back I think one of our popular episodes so far has been the face angle discussion. If you haven't listened to it, go back to it. But when we talked about what makes a golf ball curve and end up where it does, you know that the path that the club travels is is largely responsible for the curvature of the ball but Adam and I kind of both believe that the more important skill is how you present the club face at impact. And it does relate to this discussion because what Adam just said is that although you know DJ does have a very consistent swing path, I don't know what his swing path is. I'm assuming it's probably like one, two, three degrees out to end, something like that. I'm sure it's not extreme. That's very consistent. But where he presents the face at impact, is it open to his... You have to be relative to the path and the target, but his face might be more closed on one shot. So it starts further left and it might curve left to right, but it's still going to end up left of where he initially planned because it started so far left, although it curved. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that even though you, if you do have a consistent shot shape, you will miss it. On different parts of the course because of where that club face is pointing at impact. And that's the harder variable to control in golf.
0: It tends to be that path is twice as consistent as face. It's based on data from what I see. For the majority of players, their path doesn't change that much. You know, a good player, my path, for example, if I hit 20 balls, the standard deviation will be half a degree. Whereas the club face might be 1, 1.2, 1.5 degrees. So it changes two to three times as much as the path so as you said you can almost say that your path is going to be static and your shot outcome is going to be a result of how well you presented the face by the way we've gone 30 minutes and we haven't really talked about how you draw or fade it
1: oh yeah do we want to talk about do we want to like give people like homework on ball flight laws because i feel like we've tried to talk about it before on other episodes it's like it's difficult to in an audio format to talk about what makes a golf ball draw versus fade, you know, face the path and all that stuff. You give it a shot because you're, you're the better person at this.
0: Yeah, I'll give the basics of the physics of how, what you have to do through impact. You can give the anecdotal how I shape it part. So if you want to hit a draw, your path must be to the right of the target and your face should be some amount closed to the path but still open to your target. Well, you could add that on. Yeah, I just add the simple algorithm of if you want more curvature, get the face more close to the path. And same for the fade, right? To hit a fade, your path must be left of the target and your face should be some amount open to it. If you want more curvature, you open the face more. If you want less curvature, you open the face left. Pretty as, as simple as that, really. That's the simplest algorithm I can get people to understand. You can go down the road of you need your path five degrees to the right and face needs to be half of that, but it actually varies with clubs as well. So it can get really complicated if you are not diving into the details of it and the numbers, but there are simple algorithms like that. And when I'm practicing on the range and I'm hitting shots and adjusting my shot shapes, I base it off simple algorithms. Again, if I need the end result to be more left or right, I change the face. This is a personal algorithm. And if I, if the ball lands on my target and it's shaped in the right way, but it didn't have enough shape. So say I'm fading it and I'm like, uh, it was a five yard fade. Let's see if I can do a 20 yard fade. Well, if I'm going to change the amount of curvature, I'm going to tinker more with the path.
1: Yeah, you're going to swing more to the left.
0: Exactly, yeah. Now, the reality is when we change our path, usually it drags the face with it a little bit. So if I swing 10 degrees to the left, I'm going to present the face some some amount left as well. But that's more of a personal thing. You know, different people respond differently. If I ask 100 golfers to swing more left, some of them will drag the face on a one-to-one basis. You know, swing 10 degrees left, face goes 10 degrees more left. Some of them will only change the path. So it can get really um, individualized with that. But again, I've gone down a little rabbit hole there. To simplify it, a draw, your path must be right of the target, face a little bit close to the path. And for a fade, path must be left of the target, face open to the path. And then you can just adjust the face more open or closed, depending on how much curvature you need. So how do you go about shot shaping? If I asked you, if I put a gun to your head and said, I need you to draw one and fade one, what would you anecdotally do? When you're hiring
1: for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Lynxwear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Lynxwear is known for with their Wonder Lux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and Deluxe G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off Deluxe G's shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. Well, like you said earlier, I don't think about hitting the draw anymore. It's just my golf swing. So my I think one of the reasons that I felt eventually felt more comfortable hitting a draw is because I felt like I could keep the club face open at impact. And and when I say open, I mean relative to my target. So if I have a straight line going at my target that's parallel to my feet, just for simplicity's sake, I feel more comfortable with my club face pointing to the right of that target at impact. And we know that my path has to be somewhere outside of that. So the face has to be pointing, for simplicity's sake, somewhere between the target and the path. So I feel very comfortable... When I'm swinging a golf club, my last swing thought be that club face is open. And I know that because my path is so into out that despite the ball starting to the right, most times it is going to curve back. And I'm totally okay with it. I actually feel okay missing my targets to the right. What I can't live with is when I close the face too much or my path gets too extreme and then I'm hitting a huge hook. That's either starting right and hooking left really hard or even worse, if my club face is even more closed at impact, the hook that starts left and goes even more left. That is the outcome I
0: cannot live with on the course. So basically, when you're hitting a draw, you don't have to worry about your path, that's natural. So you can place all your attention on the face.
1: Correct. I I think my most dominant, if I have a swing thought or swing cue, whatever you want to call it, is mostly my clubface orientation. I feel like I've gotten to another level of golf being more cognizant of where the clubface is pointing at impact and not worrying about my path. Now that I've learned all this stuff, you know, there was a time when, you know, maybe I, I did these things, but I didn't quite understand why they were happening. Now I have a much better understanding of the ball flight laws. Not a perfect understanding, but a pretty good understanding, I think, at this point. And I still don't think about that on the course. I don't go on the course thinking about how many degrees open or shut my face is or my swing path or anything like that. I am just, you know, when I'm playing my best, I'm just swinging. And then we talked about those minor adjustments and tweaks we can make when we feel like we need to, but not too many of them balancing that that
0: balancing act we talk about in each episode. So what did you have to do for that fade shot on the course you hit?
1: Well, the fade, the good thing was, was the ball was a little bit below my feet. (laughs) so that that helped me out but you know for that one i i actually did weaken my grip i thought it'd be a fun experiment so i weakened my grip a bit and i just my my cue was swinging left
0: that was it okay cool yeah so you weakened the grip that opens the face to path for most people and then you just focused on the on the path swinging left with a simple cue
1: here's the flip side of that if I decided to get cute and say like, oh, I'm going to be you know, the golfer who works it both ways, I can pretty much guarantee you that outside of that one shot, which was a good result, I could have left the face too open and hit it right into the tree branch in front of me. It was one shot. So let's not pretend like I mastered the fade. I know almost for a fact it would take me many, many, many rounds of golf to be able to hit a functional fade. And I say functional at best. And I
0: don't even want to do that experiment. Well, what happened when when we we did that experiment already? <laughs> when I said to you, just for fun, let's try and neutralize that swing of yours and hit less of a draw. What happened to the the end result?
1: I lost distance. Yeah, I wasn't hitting it as far. So that that's another variable I'd have to contend with. So if I went so out spin on the course, went up and- yeah, my spin went up. So, you know, let's say a, a normal seven iron for me when I'm hitting a draw is about 175, 180. You know, I'm a low spin player, I de-loft it. So I hit my irons probably a bit farther than most for my swing speed.
0: Perfectly funneled you down the conversation I wanted to, to go down, because lots of people say the draws go farther than fades.
1: Let me just like put this right now, two other questions I want to ask, like which is better, a draw or a fade? Let's conquer that one, and then what let's, let's conquer which one goes farther. But I'll get back to my point so i know what to expect from my 7 iron, or 9 iron, or whatever i know my distances but now let's say i hit that fade i'm spinning it more i'm probably de-lofting it less so i'm adding more loft at impact would you agree with that based on what you saw with what i was hitting when i did that experiment
0: yes i would say spin loft changes not necessarily dynamic loft yes yeah, spin loft changes
1: So let's just say I was spinning it more so I can expect trajectory and distance to change. If I'm spinning it more, the ball is going to go higher on me and I'm not going to hit it as far. So now I have to not only contend with the variability of the shot shape. So let's say like, yeah, there was a back right pin. And again, I don't chase pins, but let's say I do. Not only would I have to contend with a different shot shape, different feeling, now i'm having to contend with the variable of trajectory and distance how far am i going to hit that seven iron because that's pretty important for an approach shot right how's it going to react to the wind let's say i'm hitting into the wind then i'm spinning it more it's going to balloon more on me so these are the reasons why i think i'm skilled enough to learn how to hit the fade but i just don't want to deal with that extra burden on the course and more variables in golf, I'm looking to remove variables. I'm looking to keep this game as simple as possible so that when I step up to the ball, my mind is not clear. It's never going to be clear. I've got demons just like the rest of you, but I want to feel like I'm reacting in the moment. And when I talk about, you know, Adam asked me, what do I feel like a draw feels like? I'm just hitting a golf ball. I'm not really thinking about what I'm doing too much. So to introduce a whole other, you know, swing pattern, I have to think about mechanically what I'm doing differently, but I'm also having to contend with the differences in the result. I feel like I don't stand to gain more from that versus if I just stuck with what I've got and get really good at knowing what to expect from my draw.
0: Like you said, in golf we're trying to reduce variables when you when you start shaping it both ways on the course, I want to be specific about that when you start shaping it both ways on the course, you're introducing mental variables you know you have to be aware of more things path as well as face as well as strike and all the playing variables like you said, how does it react? how does it spin? how does it release? it's just it's just too much it's not the best thing. So which is best then if we have to stick to one shape, what's best? Draw or fade? Neither of them. I would say.
1: I think I wrote an article about this. Maybe in the early days of practical golf, I, the, I posed the question: What is better, a draw or a fade? Inherently, I don't think one is better. I think there's plenty of examples of great golfers in history who hit a fade. I think Jack Nicklaus was one of them, <laughs> and plenty of players who hit a draw and they perform pretty well too, or even worked it both ways. There's always examples of everything in golf. My answer to that question would be: Is play the shape that comes most naturally to you. That's the one. If you can step up, hit a functional shot without having to mentally wrestle with all these mechanical thoughts, that's the shot shape that I think is best for you. You shouldn't play a fade just because you saw, you know, Justin Thomas playing a fade on TV. You should play a fade because that's the the swing pattern that fits I guess your natural tendency is better because like I said, for me, I just feel more comfortable hitting the draw so I can present that club face as open to the target impact for whatever reason. It's just better for me. So that that's my answer to that question. One is not better than the other. It's what comes more naturally.
0: You'd say that there is a better one, but it's individualized. You can't lump everybody. I know there's, there's certain teachers who make everybody draw it. Like you said, some people they naturally even their bodies might be built. They can't, you know, separate their upper and lower body that well. So they might be more inclined to go towards a fade pattern, you know, an over the top move because that's how their bodies physically want to work. So yeah, there there is one that's better, but it's individualized. You can't lump everybody into a draw is better category. You just look at the outcomes, right? You ask players to hit both shapes if they can. If they can't, don't worry about it. And then you see which one produces the the tightest dispersion. So for me, when I'm running my tests, if I hit fades and draws, it depends on the day, but most days a draw is better for me. And so I will play with that shape. The caveat to that is if changing shape with a player can fix lots of issues that they have in their game with one thought then i might go down that route so for example say you get someone who's a big drawer of the ball they they hit huge hooks onto the target they can't hit a fade to save their life and they suffer a lot with ground contact issues and i look at them on gc quad and their angle of attack is up with an iron Then I might say, not always, but I might say in that scenario, let's try to fade the ball because in doing so, not only do you straighten your shot shape out, but you'll actually improve your ground contact as well for that specific player. People listening to this don't say that uh, fades produce better ground contacts, but what it does is it tends to move the ground contact or the low point farther forwards.
1: We should have like a permanent disclaimer on every. <laughs> I feel like I have to do this in every article I write, every tweet oh, I say. I know. Like, i was just gonna say, I see. just like everything I've ever said about golf. I I don't think it applies to ever because there's always an exception in golf. We're just we're trying to on this show. I think explain the variables, you know, come to a reasonable conclusion, but. To anyone listening to anything we talk about, you know, we're, we're just starting you in the right direction. And I think you know my goal and Adam's goal is for you to do the work on your own and, and see what works best for you. So there's no right answer to anything.
0: Exactly, yeah. And on the point of which is better for draw or fade, as I said, if, if I can fix lots of things with one player by changing the shape, that might be a good route for them to go. However, I've seen the flip side of that where everybody gets lumped into a draw shot Like everybody needs to draw it for for a certain coach. As a result, you get a lot of players who just can't hit the ground in the right place for that because in their attempt to draw it, it moves the low point back for them. And that makes them fat and thin it a lot more. Because maybe they can't shift like a tall pro can, or maybe they can't release it later like a tall pro can. So for them, they probably need a, a more of a fade shot. It's, it's really player dependent, and that's where you need a good coach to to look at and say, well, you know, shaping it is just going to affect these other variables as well. But um, which one's longer then?
1: Oh, well, most people are going to say that the draw releases more. Because you know it's coming in on a hotter trajectory.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Tell the people while that might not be true, because I think you've got a better answer than I do.
0: Well, mine might surprise you. I sometimes say to people, a draw doesn't necessarily go longer. Because that is true. Right? I've had I've had people who hit it longer when they faded. However, if I'm to look at that hundred golfer test again, so I gave a hundred golfers who can shape it both ways. So say a hundred tall players, and I ask them, all well, to the draw and fade it, you would tend to see the draw go longer. In most cases, in most cases, the draw will go longer. And the reason why is not because the curve is, the ball's curving right to left and there's some magic in that. It's because it reduces spin loft. So it tends to be that a draw shot tends to reduce spin loft. And for me, when I do it, I do hit a draw longer. And I actually hit the draw just as high as a fade, but my angle of attack shallows. So that reduces spin loft. And so... It's interesting that if I'm hitting towards the same target, say I pick a 175-yard target, I've got two options. I can either draw an 8-iron in or I can fade a 6-iron in. And so lots of people will say, oh, well, if you're hitting a draw, it goes lower and there's less spin on it, so it's not going to stop as quick. And that's true. It won't stop as quick, club for club. However, the fact that you're hitting it longer means you're hitting a higher lofted club in. So it will stay, it will actually, my draws end up going higher overall. They go slightly higher than my fades because I'm hitting a draw 8-eye instead of a fade 6. So it's really interesting. Again, you just have to run all these tests on yourself. And if you've got a great launch monitor, you can get this awesome data and feedback. But this is what I do with my higher-end players. We test all this stuff. We look at how it affects the, the result. And we say, OK, which one, is, which one is better?
1: I think if I'm remembering correctly, and I, I'm Almost positive Ping did this test. A straight shot goes the farthest. Like if you actually look at it all.
0: Yeah, yeah. They ran it with a robot or they I think they did some algorithms and a straight shot goes a little bit farther. The problem
1: is is that we're not robots. We're not Adam Scott. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't see the same pattern. I'll be honest, I've tested hundreds of golfers with this. I don't see that same thing where a straight shot goes farther. I still see a draw going slightly farther. So I don't know whether theirs was a robot thing where they they standardized spin loft or something, or whether it was algorithmic. In real world testing, I don't find that same pattern. However, there is some logic behind it. When you're hitting a straight shot, you're not cutting across it basically anyway, and so more energy gets imparted into the ball as i said i just in real world testing i don't see that
1: yeah i mean i could tell you going from when i was trying to hit that fade to a draw it immediately added a ton of distance to my game and probably because of my spin rate dropped so much
0: you mean the opposite when you went from the draw to the fade you lost distance right Mm -hmm.
1: No, I, well, that was recently. I'm talking about like when I, you know, eight or 10 years ago when I switched to hitting, trying to hit a fade unsuccessfully, hitting my fades to hitting a draw, that added distance for my game. But you mentioned something like people assume, and I hate when I hear this on TV because it's just not true. You know, you hear an announcer say that, oh, well, you know, the, they almost say that they want people to hit fades with their irons because it has more stopping power on the green.
0: Yeah, club for club.
1: Yes club for club and and you mentioned why that might not be true, but you know, as someone in the real world who hits very low spinning de lofted iron shots, I don't have much of a problem stopping the golf ball on greens It's just not it's not a problem for me,
0: yeah modern equipment's pretty good, yeah, so
1: I think you know when you talk about there's theoretical what's better, but in the real world, I keep coming back to what's functional, and that's why I always say to people, my original answer is which one's better is that I still think it's the one that comes natural to you and don't fight your natural instincts because no matter which one you choose, you can play very good golf with it. You'll be able to hit greens. You'll be able to stop the ball. You can figure out a way to do that if you become good with that shot shape.
0: I actually get more stopping power with a draw shot because as I said, if I'm hitting to 175, that's a fade six iron or draw eight iron. And when I'm drawing the eight iron, I'm getting higher launch and probably equal spin, you know, compared to those two shots. The descent
1: angle that the ball's coming down on a less steep angle. So it's going to, I mean, there's two There's two ways to stop a golf ball, either with height and descent angle, just like it just kind of, it's coming in on such a high trajectory that it lands softly or you spin it more or you do a combination of both. So like, let's say I hit a, a low wedge shot, I need to stop that with a ton of spin or I can hit the flop shot that just stops because of its trajectory. And the same is true with shot shapes and irons. Like if I if I can hit an eight iron with the draw pattern, I'm naturally gonna hit it much higher because of the loft of the club versus the six iron fade pattern. So it's not just about spin rate, it's it's how high the ball's getting because of the loft are presenting an impact.
0: You know, as a kid, that's why I actually, even when I was 15 years old, I was thinking this this way in terms of stopping the ball on the green quicker with a harder ball. And my theory behind that was if I use a softball and I lose 20 yards or 10 yards, or whatever it is, I'm going to be going in with more club. And so, yes, I'm going to have more spin, but I'm also going to, be, you know, I'm going to be hitting, a say, a five iron in instead of an eight iron. So what I used to use was Dunlop DDH balls, which are just rocks.
1: Oh, I remember those. I haven't thought of that word in a long time. Yeah,
0: but I used to get my drive out there 20 yards farther and then I would hit the club in, that would be one club longer as well. So instead of hitting a five iron from way back, I'd be hitting an eight iron in from much farther forward. So I'd be stopping it. Yes, I'd get much less spin, but I'm gonna be getting a hell of a lot more spin out of a DDH with an eight iron than i would a ballata with a five iron and also harder balls they tend to launch higher so i had a higher peak height so i could stop the ball pretty quickly with a dunlop ddh that's just the theory on it but yeah it makes sense when you get all these numbers now from the launch monitors i can actually test these things
1: so i think we've we've presented people at least with our i think we've done a little sales pitch on this episode i think we've told everyone who's listening three main if i'm remembering correctly you can add to this as well there is no one right shot shape i think adam and i are both in agreement that a fade is not better than a draw or vice versa but there is a better version for each golfer and they need to do the work to figure that out you shouldn't aspire to hit a fade because, and again, you heard about it on TV, them saying it has more stopping power or you see a pro golfer playing a fade that you like. That's not the reason to play a fade. I think the reason to play a fade is because it it suits your your natural tendencies more efficiently. So one's not better than the other. There's evidence to suggest that the draw goes farther, but let's just say for all intents and purposes, don't play one or the other to gain or lose distance. But I think our number one point in this episode is that I don't think most golfers stand to gain more in terms of lowering their scores that's the point of this game by trying to work the ball in both directions based on pin positions dog legs I just haven't seen any evidence out there in my game or looking at aggregate data and a lot of other sources where I'm seeing like oh yeah if it's a dog leg left you got to hit a draw and vice versa for a dog leg right if there's a tuck
0: There are very few scenarios where you need to hit a certain shape. Very few.
1: Yeah. It's just for me, it would only be like physical barriers. And even that certain times, if I have something blocking my path and I have to hit a fade, there are times like if I'm in a recovery situation where I will hit a punch draw out of the right hand side of the trees just to get out of trouble. Because hitting a punch fade for me is like a super low running fade. That's really hard for me to do. I I just can't do it. So if I'm under the gun, maybe in a tournament or in a round that has some importance, not a practice scenario, I'm just going to maybe hit a low running draw just to get back out on the fairway. So I I opened the episode saying I hit a fade yesterday, but that'll probably be one of five fades I hit all year.
0: (laughs) yeah exactly I'm, I'm the same as well now i I do practice them just because I find it fun. you often see me doing different shape shots
1: yeah there's value in practicing the fade for me for experimentation reasons too to, to get that feel and, and you know that's variability practice
0: yeah the reasons for me practicing it number one just to show off <laughs> I do like to do that, but the main reason is when I practice a fade, it kind of helps neutralize my draw. So say I'm say I'm hitting shots and I'm not thinking, I'm gonna be hitting a certain amount of draw. Well, if I then spend 10 minutes fading it and go back to not thinking, that draw is is less so. It's it's more neutralized. So I use it as a kind of tool to change my unconscious swing. Can I give you a little bit of juice? A little bit of extra juice. <laughs> I had something written down and it's it's about why a draw shot might go farther. It's a little bit that might not be well known. And I thought it was just an interesting tidbit. So this, is, this applies specifically to clubs that have bigger heads, or so a driver. Now, in order to draw it, you need the face to be closed to the path, right? In order to curve the ball left. And when you do that, when you get the face closed to the path, did you know that the sweet spot actually shifts More towards the toe. Did you know that?
1: I did not know that. And that's bad for me considering someone who misses it on the heel.
0: So, yeah. So, that, well, you probably use a heel shot as gear effect to neutralize a a hook. Yeah. It's unconscious. Yeah, exactly. If you get a club or if you present the face close to the path, the sweet spot of the club, and by sweet spot in this regard, I mean the point on the club face that has less twisting, you know, less gear effect the sweet spot actually moves more towards the toe on a face that's close to the path. The opposite is true. When you have the face open to the path, as in someone who's curving the ball to the right, the sweet spot moves more towards the heel. So there are actually different points on the face. I, I noticed this when I, I started, you know, hitting different parts of the face and hitting different shapes, and I'd see that they would twist differently. But anyway, I digress. So with a draw shot, when the sweet spot moves more towards the toe, Did you know that the toe of the club actually moves faster than the rest of the head? I had no clue. Yeah. So every single golf club, every single golf swing rather, the face is closing some amount, right? So it's going to, the toe is basically overtaking the heel in every single player. It's almost impossible for that not to happen. So effectively, the heel might be moving three mile an hour to five mile an hour slower than the toe is. Learn two interesting things. Number one, the sweet spot on the face changes with how you swing it. And number two, different parts of the face move at different speeds. So actually, gears has this thing that tells you the club head speed and it tells you the contact point speed. It's amazing. I think even the quad has it if you dive enough into the details. So the thing I wanna say from that is by drawing it, by swinging into out with a slightly closed face, you can start to hit more towards the toe and still achieve maximum smash. And because the toe is moving faster, you'll get a little bit more ball speed. So lots of people used to say, they used to look at my track band numbers and they say, Adam, how are you getting 1.51 smashes? That's illegal. And the reason why, or one of the reasons why is, because 1.5 is supposed to be the max, right? And I I often get 1.51 or 1.52. The reason why is... My club head might be moving 100 mile an hour, but the part on the face I was hitting would be moving 103 mile an hour.
1: So it wasn't TrackMan overestimating your swing speed as some people say
0: radar does? No, TrackMan is measuring the club head speed. The (laughs) mass of the club head It's not measuring the face speed. Okay. So whereas Quad measures the face speed, it measures the contact points. You often see a lower smash factor with a quad or efficiency ratio, they call it. So yeah, they're just measuring different things really. And so, yeah, I, I tend to hit slightly out of the toe because I know that's where my sweet spot is and I can also get more ball speed out of that. And it's all intentional. I I can train you how to do it in the strike plan. (laughs) But yeah, it suits my draw shape as well. So there's, as I said, there can be a little bit more ball speed. That's how I get my 1.52 smashes on Trackman effectively and get more ball speed for, for my club speed.
1: Nice podcast plug there too. You said sweet spot like eleven times. Oh,
0: all right, awesome.
1: I was also—I have to admit—like usually I'm paying attention to every word you say, but I was—I just went into like a cold sweat. I was looking at the Masters leaderboard and I couldn't find Speed's name, but he's still three under par. I was like panicking for I'm, a second. So
0: I'm there. here dropping bombs on you, yeah, giving you're, you you're sweet spot like, shifting and yeah. face speed and smash factors above one point five, and you're there zoning out looking at Speed. Yeah, I was. God. I was
1: legitimately panicking because I couldn't <laughs> see his. Because, you know, they show like the, I don't even know if you know this because you don't even watch professional golf, but they show the Masters leaderboard in the old fashioned way. You know, it's kind of like a nice right. thing they do. And I couldn't find, I was just like looking. I'm like, where's his name? Where's his name? So I had to like search for him manually and he's still three under through 14. So I'm a big Jordan Speeth fan. And, by, and he won, you know, this is our first episode since he won last week. So kudos to that Spieth. And I'm changing the, episode at the end. All right. What are your final thoughts? Let's wrap this up.
0: Practice different shapes a little bit, a tiny bit, just in case you might need it one day, right? But understand, as you said, you might only have to pull it out, pull out a draw shot or fade shot once around or something like that. So maybe maybe don't even practice it at all. I still like players to hit right and left. So even with a draw shot, even you, you stick predominantly to a draw. However, you still have the ability to make that ball land more right or more left by adjusting the face, which guys go back to our face direction episode for more on that. Draws usually go farther than fades for many reasons, but they don't have to. It's a lot of other factors involved. And generally, just play the shot that you are best at, that gives you the lowest or the tightest dispersion. That is generally the best rule, which usually is your natural shot shape, right?
1: Keep it simple. One shot shape.
0: Where can people find you and what products can you get them in their hands so they can help their game?
1: So you can find me at practical-golf.com. Join our newsletter. I'm sorry, we had a really cool master's pool with a ton of prizes, but unfortunately this episode was recorded after it started. So I'm sorry if you missed out on that. But you can check out our deals section on the site. Only products I use and support myself, like the Divot Board, some of our launch monitors. We just added the Spornia Net, which I think is going to sell out again. It's a really good... I don't want to call it a budget net, but it's a low-cost net. That's awesome. So you can check out our deals, sign up for the newsletter. And Adam, where can they find you and what can they buy from you?
0: Go to adamyounggolf.com. I have free stuff on there so you don't have to bring out your wallet. But if you wanted to really dive in and the stuff that we've talked about today – I've simplified and made it all visual in the accuracy plans. If you really want to improve your left to right, maybe learn how to shape it or not, but certainly learn how to hit your target more often Then the accuracy plan is a great improvement product for you.
1: Okay. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time.
0: Thank you, everybody. See you next time.